What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains. As always, I'm your host, James Jackson. My two guys are residential statisticians, Stat Matt Robinson, and our guy all the way from Pittsburgh, PA. You know what's about to come, Kyle. Dirty-ass <laughs> room behind you. Uh, <laughs> I'm they don't even understand how many times I've had to hear that now. <laughs> yeah, the, fun, the audience really doesn't know how many times you've heard that in the last, like, 12 hours. But I'm going to keep saying it until that room clean. Mama Sarah, I got you over there. But... Uh, Something else we can talk about besides Kyle's dirty room is these NBA finals, which might get wrapped up tonight as we're recording uh, on Friday. Uh, but between the first four games, between LeBron and Anthony Davis, LeBron currently leads those two in average points, rebounds, and assists in the finals, while AD leads them in field goal percentage, free throw percentage, steals, and blocks. So based on the first four games and, you know, if, if the pattern continues uh, and we see this end in, in five or possibly six, who should they give MVP to? Who should they give finals MVP to? Uh, I mean, for me, it's really tough going off the eye test. I want to say AD. We've seen him, at least in my opinion, has made the bigger shots. He had that three to clinch the game. We've seen him go for 30 something twice. But and then also another point is the games that they've won are the ones AD plays well and the one they lost was he played bad. But then you just see how consistent LeBron's playing. And even if he's having a bad finals for himself, it's still a good finals and he's still probably going to win MVP. And the big thing for me is most valuable player. So you take AD off this team. LeBron still might bring him to the championship. They're definitely bringing. I mean, LeBron's definitely brought guys like this to the championship before. But you. But you take LeBron off this team, and this looks like a worse Pelicans team that AD couldn't even make the playoffs with. So I, I, I got to go with LeBron. What what did Aaron Rodgers say this past week? My my worst year would be some guy's career year. That's what LeBron's sitting on with the finals right now. But Matt, who they give a finals MVP to? I think it's got to be LeBron. AD scored four, 15 points in game three, and I think that disqualifies him. It's finals yeah. MVP, not, not the high moments MVP. And AD has made the splashy moments going off in games one and two and hitting the clinching three in game four. But LeBron has just been the consistent force. His passing has been unbelievable, uh, getting AD open threes. And I just think the consistency of LeBron and his passing ability, which has made the Lakers open up as an offense, uh, gives him the, uh, the award for me. I mean, yeah, the, the, the advantage for sure. It's funny because most of the times when it comes down to an award like this, when you see, like, the breakout star, the star that hasn't gotten it before, usually everyone leans that way. But this this time, we're not. Like, AD hasn't been in this moment yet. He's played well enough to deserve it. But everyone, I think, still wants to see, uh, see LeBron get it. And, Matt, you and I were talking yesterday, and this kind of fits, like, the whole narrative point, right? Where, like, going in, it was kind of painted that LeBron was going to win MVP. And so, as, as long as, you know, this series doesn't go completely off of that script and completely derail that... It'd be hard to give it to someone else other than LeBron. But even if they even if they do give it to Anthony Davis, which I don't know would be a wrong decision. Like I, you know, I wouldn't look back and say, man, they got that one wrong. But the the thing I've been impressed with the most is LeBron never took this series for granted. He never took this ring for granted. He never took the Miami Heat for granted. And I think everybody else in the sports world did, right? Like we're sitting up here on straight backs talking about, man, if the Heat bring this to six, that's really impressive. Like we were writing the Heat off from the beginning. And LeBron never did. I mean, he said he woke up, you know, from a nap before game four and felt like that was the biggest game in his career, which for like LeBron, like he played in a game seven, like four years ago in the final. So for him to think that 
is like huge. And for him to relay that message to his team, I mean, is is really impressive. That shows like the leadership that he's brought to the Lakers because of all the finals LeBron has played has played in, this one could easily be bottom of the totem pole for him. Like he's like, man, I had to face a 73 and nine team twice. And then they got KD two times after that. Like Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat is small potatoes for me, but he never let himself get there. He never let his team get there. And the Heat like kind of were grabbing a little bit of momentum after that game three win. Like they was in jeopardy of them tying the series up and they got bam for game four. So I think LeBron realized like where he was in his career, realized the severity of the moment. And I think that's just really impressive that he didn't let himself kind of play down to his competition, so to speak. I know it's still the finals, but in the grand scheme of things, like this this one could have been seen as like easy pickings for LeBron. And he never let his mind get yeah, we, we know for him that, that feeds into the locker room too. It's not just on himself. He is the leader of that team. I, of course, that's another reason he could be MVP. But that whole mentality I was also very impressed with. I mean, it is the finals. It is LeBron. I don't think he would have ever not done that. But the way he's approached this, I've been really impressed with. And you're, you're right. I don't think he ever would have like actually taken the heat for granted, or actually would have been like, "Oh man, we're you know we're winning this game in our sleep." But for him to take it that far, like to, to be that up for this game, and to let his players know, like, if I'm feeling that pressure, y'all should be feeling that pressure. You know what I mean? If it's on me, it's it's on everybody. So this isn't just the biggest game of my career. AD is the biggest game of your career. Kyle Kuzma is the biggest game of your career. Rondo is the biggest game of your career. Even if it's not, he made them feel that way and play that way. And then, you know, they might wrap the series up in five because of that. That's really impressive. Uh, right now, DraftKings have the current odds for finals MVP at LeBron minus 1,000, which is a little crazy. It's like a given. AD plus 600 and Jimmy Butler plus 2,300. Like, hey, I mean, you throw like $15, $20 on it. If they do come back, you got yourself like a nice little bit. If they come back, he's the winner. So you, you'd well, rather bet on Butler finals MVP than Heat winning the finals is probably like 19 to 1. Go just do the 23 to 1 on Butler. I do want to say, if AD does win finals MVP, it's because he's been a black hole on defense. He's sucked up everything mm-hmm. the Heat have tried to do down low. And he's just, he's proving, he's mad that Giannis won Defensive Player of the Year over him. And he's showing why he should have been Defensive Player of the Year. Isn't that before. funny? That people think LeBron got snubbed for MVP and AD got snubbed for finals MVP by the same player who, like, retrospectively, look, retrospectively looking back now, who got bounced out of the second round of the playoffs, is like, and maybe they did get snubbed. But let's break that down further. Let's we'll first go into LeBron. The exact reasons why LeBron like maybe should be winning Finals MVP. And Kyle, you hit it on the head first. The first is his consistent scoring. Right, he scored 25 plus in all four games. AD has fallen short of that twice. You know, right now he's putting up 28, 11 rebounds, and about nine assists on 54% from the field and 36% from three-point range. Exactly, like quote-unquote subpar for LeBron, you put that stat line on anybody else and that's, you know, the best series they maybe have had in their career. So that that might start it right there. That You know, you started right there. LeBron is clear-cut winner for Finals MVP, right? Yeah. I, I Also, I just love how he's getting his teammates involved. Um, the stat that really surprised me is AD is 67% assisted baskets, which would be the most by far of any NBA Finals MVP. And you got to think most of those assists are coming from LeBron. And hey, if 67% of your buckets are coming off assists, I'm going to count them as like one and a half points for every two because you're getting fed points and you know it's LeBron getting it done. I was about to say, and we know who's feeding him those those buckets, right? I mean, LeBron's got 11 assists per game 
in these finals. Um, and, you know, it's 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 tough because, like, yes, still AD's got to make the buckets. And if you if you look at these games, they're not all, like, standstill jumpers. They're all just straight feeds off the points. Anthony Davis is still, like, getting himself open, creating shots and creating opportunities for himself. But when you talk about who's been the catalyst, like, of this team, especially of this offense, I mean, it's been LeBron. They go and move so much smoother when he's out there, you know, running it on the floor. Um, LeBron has created 94 field goals for other teammates, while AD has only created 34 for other teammates. So, I mean, it's it's along the same pattern and along the same path of this offense goes as LeBron goes. And he's had to have foot on the gas pedal 100% of the time. Like, AD scored 15 points in game three, was in foul trouble for most of the game, and they still found themselves in that game. Put that. Put those roles. Imagine if LeBron scores 15 points. Imagine if LeBron found himself in foul trouble at any point in any game of this series. Like that that might be a runaway, a runaway win for the Heat. Like that might be something they're literally wishing for on a fallen star. AD has the ability to do that and lean on LeBron to keep them in the game. I'm not sure if it's the other way around. Like, I'm not sure if we put a complete game, a complete responsibility of one whole game on Anthony Davis, if he pulls out a win or at least keeps them within, like, a puncher's chance at the end. I'm not really sure. Like, it, you can so. see, You can see where this team is weighted. Like, you can see it's, it's LeBron heavy, right? And I think it would take AD literally averaging, like, close to a triple-double or averaging a triple-double for him to get this finals MVP. Am I a few that? Yeah, I just... I do want to mention if LeBron wins the Suns MVP, he separates himself and becomes only the second player in NBA history to win four. Uh, right now, he's tied with Shaq and Duncan at three Finals MVPs. If he wins the Finals MVP this series, it'll just be Jordan ahead of him from us in NBA history. I almost did it, Matt. I almost asked you if this closes the gap for you or if this puts LeBron above Jordan. I don't know if we have time to go completely down that rabbit hole. It's also early in the morning. I don't want to like make myself mad by you saying no. So I'm gonna I'm gonna live in ignorant bliss by thinking that you would have said yes, and we're gonna move on because I mean at this point, like there's only a couple things that Jordan has ahead of him. That's and that's one of them. But we can we can move on because it is like we can say it's plausible that AD wins Finals MVP, right? Like we can say that, like if it happens, would you guys be mad? Like, would you guys say, you know, LeBron got snubbed or they got that wrong if they if they gave it to Anthony Davis? It wouldn't be like Iguodala winning over Curry. Like, I disagree, but I wouldn't get mad about it. Yeah, that's about where I'm at, too. I mean, you break it down. Statistically, uh, I know I, I hate the stat. You guys believe in it a little more than I do. But his plus minus this series for AD is 34. And LeBron's is 11. And that includes for AD 10 or more plus minus in three games and LeBron's only done that once. So, I mean, statistically, there could be an edge on, well, we're in 80s on the floor, the Lakers are playing better. But, uh, I don't. I mean, yeah, it's not a snub. A lot of that, like, I understand why you don't like that stat. I, I do like it, but I understand because a lot of it, like, if you take it out of context, it, it, you know, there's a, it leaves a lot on the floors, a lot of scraps. I think a lot of that is because of the matchups that Anthony Davis is playing in when LeBron goes off the floor. Bam goes off the floor. Jimmy Butler goes off the floor. Like, AD's captaining that second unit. And, of, of course, he's going to – there's less, less good players on the floor. When LeBron goes off, Spro is really using that time to rest his, his big players. And then AD's out there playing against, you know, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and Jay Crowder and company instead of having to deal with Jimmy Butler and Anthony Davis most of the time. So I understand I'll, what the I'll, 
I'll put it this way. If you watched all 40 minute, 48 minutes of the game, it's a good stat to assist. Mm-hmm. But I hate people that just pull it out of the blue. Like, oh, he had a minus 30 plus minus. Yeah, well, he hit the game winner too. Like, I, I'm just not a huge fan of that stat. Well, I think we're, and this is good for us, right? Because I think sometimes we have to point out, Matt did it, you know, a couple of months ago, uh, where where the facts lie, where the stats lie. And you you definitely cannot lean on plus or minus for, for that to be it. And to your point, Kyle, I think people lean on plus or minus when they don't watch the full game. Like, that's a stat that you look at afterwards, you're like, wow, dude, Anthony Davis is plus 34 and LeBron's only plus 11. They must be playing better when Anthony Davis is on the floor. And that's a product, like, you clearly haven't been watching the five finals games if you clearly think that. Um, but I think where AD can really make his hallmark, one, he's been a little bit more efficient. We know LeBron struggles at the free throw line, and he's been better um, you know, from the field, making making his field goals. He's also shooting 100% from the free throw line in the series, which is crazy. Um, That's awesome. A little, a little bit more efficient. And also on defense, the Heat scored 92.5 points per 100 possessions with Anthony Davis on the floor in game four. In the six minutes he sat, they were up to 183.3 per 100 possessions. And the biggest reason of that is Anthony Davis took the primary responsibility of guarding Jimmy Butler in game four which really shocked me. It shocked me that he wanted to do it. It shocked me that Frank Vogel and uh, let's let's face it, LeBron were comfortable with giving him that defensive assignment for the entirety of the game. And he frustrated Jimmy Butler. Like that, that's a player that came off a 40 point game and ended with what, 20, 22 or something like that. Like he, he was giving him fits. And you know, that's to me, that was that was like a, a, a point towards Anthony Davis to winning defense or to winning finals MVP. Like that, that was a, a big showing for him in, in game four. Or in game four. When you look at defense, of course, and efficiency, it's hard to get mad about a potential AD win. 70.3% true shooting percentage is unbelievable in an NBA Finals. It's uh, LeBron's like at 63% true shooting. And that's why I can't get mad. That efficiency is out of this world. I do think it's probably going to go down a bit. I just don't see, like, if he goes like seven for 15. And like eight for ten from the line, he could have twenty six points, but like the shooting percentage falls. But mm-hmm. it's still an unbelievable number. It is. It is crazy. And I made this note when I was watching Game Four, um, or, or or especially like Games Three and Four. Like Anthony Davis came out and knew that, like especially with Bam hurt, they don't have anyone to guard me. Like Jay Crowder is going to be the primary defender on me, and he played like it. He got his rebounds back up, and he like wasn't shy. Like, it, like that, that was the biggest thing I needed to see is that moments like that, like he didn't let moments like that slide by or he, he didn't let moments like that go to the wayside. But like he played with the, the most supreme confidence I've seen Anthony Davis play with maybe in these playoffs. And that, that was a big one. Like that, that's got to be. Like I'm watching a race right now between LeBron and AD go to that finish line of finals MVP and they're kind of neck and neck. Like LeBron might ha- might have the slight edge going to Game Five, but it's really like whoever it's anybody's award to go get right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see them kind of play like that in Game Five. Like, as much as LeBron wants to win, and as much as LeBron wants to get Anthony Davis involved, I think he's like he's looking at his trophy case and like you you my guy, and I want to win a trophy with you. You're not about to take Finals MVP from me. That's not what's about to happen. Yeah, I can see LeBron just being like, all right, it's game five, close out, and he goes for 40. Like, and he just goes for 40, yeah. The game, the, the ball's right here. The ball's in number 23's hand. So, like, that's 
I, I can see that happening. And it sucks for AD. He doesn't have the ability to like kind of take it out of LeBron's hands. He doesn't have the ability like, to, to look at LeBron and say, ball's here for the last six minutes. If you want it, I'm here if you want it. I'm open. I'll make the shot. But, but he doesn't have the ability to take it out of LeBron's hands like LeBron, or like LeBron has the ability to take it out of uh, Anthony Davis's hands. Um, but I mean, it's, it's going to be an interesting race for sure. Um, but I mean, Anthony Davis said he wants to go to like 10 more finals with LeBron. So it might not be his, his only, is that realistic though? No. Is that realistic? <laughs> if you actually say the number, no. <laughs> I mean, you say it out loud. I mean, do we think it was realistic for him to go to 10 previous? Like I get his age, but like, age. I don't know. Look at this man. Look at this man. You can tell he's lost a tiny bit. Like he gets a little bit more winded now in the fourth, but he's, he's still playing like 40 minutes a game, 40 plus minutes a game. That's from his 20s to his 30s, though. You take that jump from the 30s to the 40s? I don't know. Yeah, LeBron's got five good years left, and that's if I'm being a little generous. I think he's got... I think he's got three... When I say good, I mean, like, best player in the league good. Yeah, I think he has about three. Five years of best player. I'll take that. You think he has five years? That's me being generous. Like, most possible is five. I mean, I guess most possible. I think I see about two to three of best player in the league. Then I see maybe between two and four after that of like Michael Jordan on the Wizards, where like he maybe he's not like you know having a crazy impact. But you look at his numbers, you're like damn, dude's still averaging like 25 a game. Like it might it might still be like that. Um, but I mean, we know this team is led by LeBron and Anthony Davis, right? It's the two crown system. But there are other reasons why. You know, they're up 3-1 in these finals. It's not all LeBron and AD. I would say it's about like 85 to 90% LeBron and AD. But we've seen other things happen. Before I get into it, I want to give a little bit of clap uh, to Catavius Caldwell-Pope, to KCP. Because, like, that that's a guy who is on the wrong end of a lot of jokes sometimes. You know, often gets slandered by how, by how poor he's played. And for most of this finals, KCP has shown up to play. Like, he's, he's, he's done the jobs he's been asked to do. And I think, I mean, that's just, to me, it's it's worth pointing out. Like, there, you know, there's been a lot of times where we're sliding KCP and pointing out the things that he doesn't do. I think we have to, you know, take a little time to to really admit that KCP has been playing well. Um, yeah. Other than I, that, it's, it's, Kyle, you pointed this out, that it's been on the defensive end for the Lakers as a whole, right? As to really the, the one of the other big reasons why they're up 3-1 in this series. Yeah, I think the way they're defending the perimeter right now, because you know the Heat like to get a lot of three balls, and team basketball, they get open looks a lot of the time, and they're not getting as many of those looks, but you look at the percentages. So this series compared to the last series. Duncan Robinson's 31% compared to 40% from three. Tyler Hero's 32 compared to 38. And Jimmy Butler's 25 compared to 37. The only outlier to this stat is Jay Crowder, who's shooting about the same compared to the rest. But I think the Lakers are fine giving Jay Crowder some threes. Yeah, they don't care. You don't let Duncan Robinson shoot. You don't let Hero shoot. That's my. They're fun. Yeah. Like and I, how many? Jay, how many is Jay Crowder going to hit in a good game? Exactly. And like Kelly Olynyk's hitting a couple, but especially the Lakers know with Bam out, this is where they're going to get beat if they get beat. It's that three ball line, and I'm I love the way they've been defending the perimeter, and I think that's a Vogel call. Shout out Vogel. Yeah, and it, it definitely is. Um, and that was the point that I was about to go into, like. I mean, how, how many threes is Jay Crowder giving you a game? Three, four? If you let either one of them, Dr. Robinson or Tyler Hero, get hot, I mean, that you're liable for, like, eight, nine threes on your head in that game. And that's, like, a 
Like, Tyler Hero, to me, is the guy that, like, if he gets going, that's such, like, an energizer boost to the Heat. Like, if he gets going, it's like, wow, everything is going right for us. Look, we're about to go and win this game. And what's like, incredible is he, Tyler Hero, if he makes two shots in a row, it's like, oh, my gosh, he's hot. And, yeah, like, he's he, it, but he's that kind of player. He, like, he reminds me of, like, Ray Allen in that sense. Where Ray Allen saw two threes go in, like, forget about it. You're, you're done. Same kind of with Steph Curry. Steph Curry saw back-to-back threes going in, like, dude, for, forget about yeah, it. Yeah, Steph's the one I'm most scared of there. This, this game is done. Dame, Dame falls, falls into that. There are a couple players that, like, they only need to see a couple go in, like, before they're considered hot. And Tyler Hero is, like, on the cusp of being one of those players. He's a little too young to, to really step into that. But he's, he's definitely there. Um, but you mentioned the, the defending the three-point. I think one of the biggest things I've noticed for the Lakers in this series is shooting the three-ball. Like, the three-ball came back a little bit. The three points per made per series have gone uh, against Portland, 12. Against Houston, 12.2. Against Denver, it took a dip. And everybody noticed this. 9.8 threes made. And then against Miami, they're making the most threes they've made per series in this playoffs with 14.8. But I think that comes with a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. Back-to-back games, the Lakers put up 43s. They are not a, they're not a three-point shooting team like that. And in, what is it, in, in game three, the game that they lost, they went 14 for 42. Like, that's, that's not the Lakers' DNA. But I think they, they, they caught themselves kind of playing the Heat's game a little bit, going three for three. And that, that's not it. You got to defend the three and play your offense. And the Lakers, to me, don't win many games if they're chucking up 40-plus threes a game. I really don't think any team wins that many games, but especially the Lakers, who aren't known as a three-point shooting team. Their best three-point shooter this series or this year has been like Danny Green, and he's piss poor. And he's horrible. So like that's not how they win this series. So I'm glad they kind of have shied away from that. But I think the reason that number is up is because they were jacking them for a little bit for two games. But they are hitting them too. I mean, they're shooting the second best three-point percentage they've had in any series, only behind the Houston series. And we know how that Houston series went, which is punch for punch for punch. So, I mean, maybe it's not the exact game plan to get it done, but hitting 15 threes at a decent clip is getting it done in this series. I mean, I guess it's kept them into it. And I think that the threes by people, by certain people, you know, have been have been shocking me. Markeith Morris in the corner, and I mean, he's like pretty much knocked down from the corner. He gets in that short corner, and he's been cashed. We talked about KCP. Kyle Kuzma's put a couple in. Like, if I see Rondo hit another, like, standstill, jab step three, like, I, I'm I'm going to call, like, you know, I might call it a hoax or something, because I've never seen that before. Now, all of a sudden, Rondo's hitting threes. So, I mean, we've it's, it's funny when you look at guys who've been in the league for a long time, like LeBron, like Rondo, like the last time Rondo was in a spot like this, like the three-point game wasn't like wasn't as prevalent. Like 08-09, he was working with two big men down low and he was like a prototypical point guard. Remember the game where he had like two points and 15 rebounds or 15 yeah. and 20 rebounds? Like that's the that's the Rondo I'm used to watching. Not this this coming off picking pops and and hitting standstill threes, but he's doing it. I mean, it's a Testament, damn it. I also want to say Lakers are um, completely making the heat. The Heat have thrown everything at the Lakers defensively. They've tried a two-three zone. They've tried a three-two zone. They've tried heavy switches. They've tried not heavy switches. And and they and they can't find and they and sometimes it does work where the Lakers settle and just shoot threes to, instead of attacking it. But the Lakers are up three-one because they haven't let it phase them at all despite every defensive change Miami's tried to make. You know, Kyle, like, again, 
the Frank Vogel point. It's not being said enough. Like the yeah. just you're talking about Matt, that's Frank Vogel. Like the you're taught that when you go into a zone, you shoot out of it. But when you're a team who like can't shoot, we talked about this before the series started. That if the Heat go to that, remember we talked about like that's got that's a card that Spoh's got in his back pocket. Maybe he pulls it out early. He pulled it out early. And we were talking about like you don't you don't wake up one day and magically like start shooting immaculate from three and shoot your way out of um shoot your way out of zones. But I think Frank Vogel lets them do it a little bit. Let's see if we can shoot out of it. But if we don't, timeout, and then here's how we're gonna break it. Like we're we're gonna get the ball into into pockets. We're gonna screen uh, off a two three zone, and it's making now Spo go into different zones. I saw a box and one in the finals. Like I saw a box and one <laughs> in the NBA finals. Like I was like this. They're running out of cards to play. Like they're running out of things to do. You go to a box and one in the finals, and you're like at the bottom of the pile of things you can do. And I, I mean, that's got to be Frank Vogel on the fly, right? Yeah, I don't think he's getting enough respect. I've always thought he was a good coach ever since back in Indiana. I know you have LeBron, you got AD, but you still needed to be a good coach to get over the hump and get the ring. We've seen LeBron lose rings. I mean, I think he's getting a lot. But the big thing for me is their team ball. The way they're playing right now, they have five guys in double digits this series. They haven't done that this whole playoffs. And they have the most assists per game out of any series in the playoffs. So I like how they're getting the team ball involved. I know they can do the two-man game, but I don't think that two-man game would work as effectively as having all these guys in play. No. I mean, we want, I think LeBron is one of the, the few superstars who knows how important role players are. Like, role players low-key will win you or lose you a finals. Like, they're not going to get the finals MVP. They're not going to go down in the history books. But if your KCP, your Kyle Kuzma, your Marquise Morris don't show up to play, you're going to lose. Like, it's, it's team on team. We, I mean, this is a guy who put James Jones in his suitcase and traveled him across the country with him because he knew that, like, role players are important. And if I get one I can trust, like, I'm not going to let it go. Um, so I think that's that's been a, a huge part of what LeBron and the Lakers have been doing in, in this series. It's a testament, but... Uh, before we get out of here, I, I need definitive. Do they close it out in five? Yes or no? Or is it going six? Uh, yes or yes. I want to. I gotta say six. This was my prediction. I'm sticking with it. I still believe what in it. Left turn. What a left turn. We've been talking for the last like 35 minutes about how the Lakers have been dominating, and that Kyle, Kyle, you saying the Heat win game five? I'm still sticking with the Heat. I'm not gonna let you guys be right on five ones. So I'm gonna be right on my five, my four two. <laughs> Lakers close it out. Heat come out firing. Like I think they take like maybe 10, 15 point lead early, and then Lakers win a close one in the fourth. And like, like last game, I, 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 I'm sensing a little bit of desperation from the Heat. I'm sensing them do things that a team does when they know they're down and about to lose a series. Like Jimmy Butler yelling to LeBron at you know during Game Three, you're in trouble. They're in trouble. And then guaranteeing a game four win, it's a little bit of antics. It's a little bit of gamesmanship. Like, I bet Jimmy Butler didn't actually believe that they're in trouble. Jimmy Butler knows the Heat are in trouble. But, like, come on, dog. He was, I mean, yeah, me, he was riding that momentum. To me, that's a young pup move. To me, that's not a vet move. That's a young pup move winning one game and then saying, y'all in trouble. Yelling at LeBron and AD, y'all are in trouble. And if I'm him, remember that scene in Shrek where he's, like, looking behind the guy? He's like, you in what army? That's what I would have been saying to Jimmy Butler. By you, by you, and who else? If I shut you down, this is over. Like I, I, I don't think I don't think he woke a sleeping giant by doing that. I think we see another uh, game three type performance for Jimmy. He has to do it. He's not leaving on a bad note. And I believe in Tyler Hero in these situations. I think he's coming with the same mentality, and they could pull one out. Do they pull another one out after game five? No. 
But I Matt, think I think they get it. Matt, you remember the face I made when you told me the Bucks were only going to lose three games the whole the whole playoffs? It was like this face. That's the face I'm making to Kyle right now. Like, like okay. What time's this game tonight? Can you believe? I might have to call fun. James about fourth quarter. That's fine. That's fine. We can hop on a FaceTime. Don't do that. <laughs> Because if the, if the Lakers win, I'm calling you. The Lakers uh, win, I think my phone, my phone might be dead. <laughs> already experiencing Wi-Fi difficulties. Already experiencing cell phone difficulties. But, all right, say say the Lakers do win this, right? Say they close it out in five. LeBron gets a fourth ring. I think if we have to put this in the context of his other three rings that he's gotten. And, Matt, I'll, I'll throw this one right to you, being our satisfaction. Where does this rank in terms of LeBron's rings? Like, where, where would this go down? It's by far his easiest finals opponent, I think. Just because he'd have been injured on top of they don't have a top 10 player on their team. Mm-hmm. And and it, and if you look at the opponents LeBron's face, it's like the Dynasty Spurs, the Dynasty Warriors, a stacked OKC team. So it's definitely up there, but it's definitely at the bottom, I should say. But I don't think they're getting enough credit for rolling through the West because mm-hmm. the West was very good. The, and I know they didn't play the Clippers, but the Nuggets are still like a very good team. The Rockets were the best four or five seed in the playoffs, like they have been, and they rolled over them in five games. I think I think the Rockets might have been the best team they played this playoffs, and they rolled them just like they're rolling everyone else. So I don't think people should discount this ring, despite the fact that he had an easier Finals opponent than usual. You look and at that- like like even if you look at 2016, like when he beat the 73 9 Warriors, the East was done before the playoffs started. Mm-hmm. He, just, he got a free ticket to the finals. And he, of course, that's amazing. And through this playoff run, he played a decent Blazers team, played a very good Rockets team, played a very good Nuggets team, was playing a good Heat team. And I'm glad you made that point. That's been like the knock on LeBron for pretty much all of his rings, right? Where it was easy to get there, you know, to do much through the East. But then this time, I didn't hear as much praise for, for beating that Western Conference and the teams he had to play. Like, he played the Blazers first, who were the hottest team in the NBA coming in. I mean, he, he had to cool down a Damian Lillard, who was giving, like, all-time performances before then. Then he had to play the Rockets team, who everyone was saying were, were like, the nightmare of the league with that small ball. No team was, was able to adjust to that small ball. They were really giving teams fits, and the Lakers didn't have to crazily adjust their game plan. They rolled out there with two big men and still beat them in five games. Then they played the Nuggets, who just came off back-to-back 3-1, like, comebacks, right? And they had to cool down the Nuggets. So there were three teams that, like, they played three hot teams at the time. I remember they were a buzzer beater away from being tied 2-2, or Mm -hmm. being down 2-1. Being down 2-1, yeah. So, I mean, they they really had to to pull this out. Kyle, where does this rank? Where does this go? I I mean, obviously, it can't touch the... Warriors ring can't touch the Spurs ring. The only one you could maybe make an argument with is that 2012 Thunder one. But I, I'm kind of on Matt's side here. Like this is their easiest opponent in the finals by far. Like who would be the next? The Matt that Mavs team they lost to. They lost. I don't, we lost. Yeah, I don't even know who the next one would be. Um, I'm not gonna knock them. I do want to give them praise about the Western Conference. I wish they would have played the Clippers. I don't think that not, docks you too many points that you didn't have to face them. I mean, you can't control that. Not your fault. And the Clippers but, that. The, the Clippers did that to themselves. That's not that's yeah. not wrong. And I gotta and especially the way they were playing, even if they do squeak that out, the Lakers are gonna roll by them the way the Clippers are playing. If we're being honest, probably in five. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanna I'm I'm gonna say it's their it's his fourth. I mean, the Thunder one is close, but I can't discount like I know they were young, but Durant, Westbrook. Harden. There's none of that on the Heat team. And I think uh, he's got 
maybe a better team this year. I think the Heat team's close, but that was their first year, their first ring. So I would compare those teams equally. So I think having an easier opponent, this is LeBron's easiest ring. Well, I'm interested to get into this conversation. I think I'm going to try to bring Max Gordon from NBA Nation on to answer this maybe maybe weeks down the road. But we have to start talking about who's the better teammate that LeBron's ever had, right? Because I think that answers that question that you were just talking about. Is it D-Wade or is it AD? Because if D-Wade's better, then that Heat team is better. If AD's better, then this Lakers team is better. I think it's a little too early because he had four years with, with D-Wade, technically four and a half. If you count that little stint that D-Wade had with the Cavs. And he's had, you know, nine-tenths over here with AD. And, you know, he'll have years to come. So I think it's still a little early to start really diving into that conversation. But, like, it's it's a point that we got to we gotta remember. We have to, like, keep tabs of going forward. I do want to say if LeBron, if the Lakers win this title before seven games, it's the first time in LeBron's career that he never faced an elimination game in the playoffs. Wow. Yeah, so back to you. Impressive, right? Like, that's not, in the, not just in the finals, but in the whole playoffs. Like, that's... Really impressive. And he's been like the one or two seed every single time. And he still had to face elimination. Yeah, I think the question you just posed is a big one too. Because I mean, okay, you go career, sure. D-Wade won two rings with LeBron. You have to say he's the better teammate. But D-Wade never had a season like this that AD's having. Mm-hmm. AD's had a better season than D-Wade had both of those years. So that's an interesting conversation. I don't, like, for me, people who just definitively say D-Wade now are people who, like, have trouble giving up the past. People have trouble, like, moving on from stuff. Because, like, yes, it's right now, but to close the book on it and say, like, hey, D-Wade will be the best teammate LeBron's ever played with and not giving Anthony Davis that chance to prove it is wrong. Like, if, if this is the first year, if this is how we started, he's absolutely got the opportunity to be the best teammate LeBron's ever played but he, with. But he's going to be. He's going to be the I best teammate going LeBron to be ever had. But I'd still put 2011 D-Wade over 2020 AD, but then D-Wade starts to decline after that year. That's what I'm saying. What if 2021 AD is better than 2020 AD? What if 2022 AD is better than 2021 AD? Like, this is where it started. Like, it, it's it only can, 26. It can only go up from here, which is, that's hella scary, dog. And and yeah. to, to circle all the way back, it may be why AD is kind of okay not winning this finals MVP. Like, this, if, if he doesn't win this finals MVP, he's like, man, like what LeBron said to Kyrie when they lost in 2017, we'll be back. We'll be back here. That's not that's not gonna be my only opportunity. And that man's getting old. So pretty soon it's gonna it's gonna be on me to get this finals MVP. Yeah. But we will move on. It's time to get some NFL talk in here. We are into week four and we're gonna play a little game. NFL would you rather? The the normal would you rather can get kind of crazy. Let's see what we'll do with the NFL. So the first one, I'm glad this is first. Put y'all on the hot seat real quick. See if your bias comes through. Would you rather right now in this season have Carson Wentz? Or Kirk Cousins. Did they come with wide receiver sets? <laughs> <laughs> wide receiver sets sold separately. Yeah, it's got to be Wentz. I know Wentz has been really poor this season. But the Vikings, they have Justin... Kirk Cousins has Justin Jefferson, who's having a great rookie season so far, and Adam Thielen. And he's still oh, struggling. Yeah. He's still And Kyle Rudolph, and he's still struggling. He's and not as good as he was. And he's got Dalvin Cook. Yeah, and it's look. You could Carson Wentz has a lot of reasons that he's been poor, but one of them is clearly his lack of weapons. He's throwing to Travis Fulgham. He's throwing no, Matt, to. Matt, I have no idea who these people are out for for the Eagles. Like, I literally have never. Hightower. 
Like Never John Hightower, tower. I got his name wrong. Yeah, John, yeah. <laughs> it could have been Tim Frog. At this point, you could say like a random name off the street, and I'd be like, "Yeah, that, that makes sense." It's probably throwing him. All right, Kyle, Wentz or Cousins? I got to go with Matt for basically the same reasons. I mean, he has no weapons, and Cousins only has like one less interception. Horrible pass rating still. I think he's thrown for less yards, to be honest. And his team's one and three. We're one, two, and one. So I'm taking Wes. <laughs> I'd have to look at the schedule breakdown to, to really validate that last point. Because y'all did y'all did tie the Bengals now. Like, like let's, let's remember that. I might have to side with you guys. Like, because I've seen Kirk Cousins kind of barely get above that average like the best Kirk Cousins I've seen was like slightly above average Kirk Cousins like not gonna lose you a game but you can't lean on him to win you a game or a stretch of game we've seen that from Carson whether we're seeing it now is is regardless but like we know that's in there like he's young enough where that's that's still in there he can still get back to that I don't know if I've ever seen that level from Kirk Cousins like maybe there's been one year where he could have been like top five in MVP voting but if Carson Wentz doesn't get hurt in 2017, that's his MVP. I've never seen that from Kirk Cousins, and we're not too far removed for me to think that that's still in there. Like, with that being said, Carson's looking shaky on shaky, but I might still, if you if you gave me one or two, Matt, that's a good point you made. I think it's not the whole reason, but a big part of why Carson's struggling so much is because, I mean, I think, I think Kyle and I had better receivers when we worked for the YMCA camp with our campers. Like, it, it really is. Like that, like I might have, bro. We we could throw on an Eagles jersey and go out there and run them routes. That that's exactly what you throw it to. All right, moving on to young running backs, young breakout running backs. Though, would you rather have Josh Jacobs or Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Kyle, it's you first. Uh, it, it's tough. I think it's very system oriented. Uh, but right now, I think I'd want Josh Jacobs. I think he's a better back. I mean. Now that Nick Chubb's hurt, I mean, I made this point about Nick Chubb being a top five running back. Well, now Chubb's hurt. Josh Jacobs very well can feel, be filling that void now. I mean, I think just skill-wise, talent-wise, put him on the three who's getting you a touchdown, Josh Jacobs is. I think Clyde will get there, or I should say can get there and will get there. But right now I'm taking Josh Jacobs. Uh, I love the Alabama running backs. I mean, they always work out. I'm taking Josh Jacobs as well. Um, I think Clyde edwards I think he's really good as we talked before the season about him. But I think he's benefiting a lot from having Pat Mahomes as his quarterback. So defenses are afraid to play up the run against him. Josh Jacobs is the NFL leading rusher, and Derek Carr is decent, but he's nothing special. And they can kind of key on him, and Jacobs is still leading the league in rushing yards. I mean, Matt, you literally took all three points like right right from me. I'm, I'm pretty pissed about it because I was really <laughs> – those are three really good points. I mean, you're, you're, Pat Mahomes is never – and I mean never going to see eight men in the box. It's just you're just really dumb if you load the box against the team. I really don't care what down it is. It could be, you know, first and goal on the one inch line. You're probably not gonna see eight people in the box. You're just never gonna do it. Um, so you're right, Clyde Edwards Alaire always always benefits from that and just a better team. Like you look at the weapons the Chiefs have and the weapons the Raiders have, the Chiefs clearly have more weapons. Clyde Edwards Alaire is like the fourth person you gotta try to worry about on the Chiefs offense. For Josh, I mean, Josh Jacobs might be number one for the Raiders. Like, if, if I'm game planning against the Raiders, Josh Jacobs, like, stop the run is, is the first thing he's trying to do. And you're right, he's still leading the league in rushing. So I got to, he's a little bit more of a polished back, too. Has a year up on Clyde Edwards-Alaire and doesn't play in as creative of an offense, I'll say. 
Like, it, it's not much fundamental, you know, running going on in the Chiefs offense. I mean, they're, they're playing like backyard, you know, school football over there. And we know John Gruden loves to run like a really regimented pro style of offense, which Josh, Josh Jacobs is in right now. <clears throat> so, again, I'll agree. Josh Jacobs over Clyde Edwards-Alaire. The next one, and we're going to stay with the running back theme right here. Um, would you rather, Malcolm, to you, would you rather have one dominant running back or would you rather have a running back by committee? And going back to 2008, just a little tidbit, there's only three 1,000-yard rushers by Super Bowl winning teams. That's Ray Rice in 2012, Marshawn Lynch in 2013, and LeGarrette Blunt in 2016. So as the pattern goes, the better the team, the more the running backs. So what would you rather have? Give me the running back by committee for a lot of reasons. Like the running backs are always fresh. They're never tired. But also, you're not going to have a big contract weighing you down. You, mm. I'm very happy the Cowboys decided to pay Zeke over Dak. That Zeke contract, he's a great running back. It's untradeable right now. Mm. Because run, you can find so many running backs. Who all you need to do is get you 4.1 yards per carry. And you can find any six-round pick. All any undrafted free agent, he could be a contributing player. I would absolutely rather have a running back by committee than have one stud. That's true. Kyle, committee or stud? I'm going committee. Uh, I was going to bring up the contract thing, too. I don't want to pay a running back. I mean, we saw Zeke get paid. We saw McCaffrey get paid. We've seen a lot of these guys get paid. Aaron Jones, they were talking about on Monday nights, probably next up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to pay these guys. You give me a committee guy. Now you're also very versatile if you use them right. You got a guy that's going to power you through the hole guy you need on 31 you need the guy for a screen pass all right now i got that guy i mean if you use him correctly a running back by committee works better than a regular running back in the sense that the regular running back is going to get tired so you might you won't get him that play running back by committee never tired and if you use them right they can be effective on every single play i i most of the time go running back by committee but since we put this in the script i've been thinking about it and i've been thinking about the teams who have stud running backs and who have running back by committees. You think of the best running backs in the league, you think of a Zeke, a Christian McCaffrey, an Alvin Kamara, and Aaron Jones. One, the, the tire point, I don't really see them get tired. I think, I mean, their play calling is really good, so they're, they're used, you know, in, in ways that, that maximize their endurance. But you think of the problem that running backs like that cause teams. I mean, you put Saquon in there too. Like, they, like to try to game plan against Alvin Kamara, I have no idea what Alvin Kamara is going to do. One game he might rush for 120. One game he might catch for 120. And and it's like it, it, it's the you're not going to get tipped off by having that one person. The problem I have with a running back by committee is one, it limits the tempo of your offense. I think because you know if, if you're having my my power rusher in there for you know three or four plays in a row, then from the defense, I know a, a pass out of the backfield probably isn't coming in the next three or four plays. And if it does, I'm going to see that receiving back come off the sideline and come into the backfield. Now I know that there's only a certain amount of plays that this team is going to run. And on the flip side, I'm a guy who loves up-tempo offense. You know, it it, it limits what the defense can do. It limits their substitutions. It keeps them guessing, keeps them on their heels. And if you have a running back by committee, you're either not going as fast to be able to get the running backs on and off the field, or when you do run that tempo, you're shrinking your playbook. There's only a certain day if I have my catching running back out there, I know I'm not running between the tackles. I know if I have my my power running back out there, there's not a lot of a swing passes or screen passes going to that running back. So, you know, I, I have always been a lover of running backs. Like when I when I played football way back when, I was a running back. It's always been like my favorite position on the football field. So when I see a dominant running back 
Like I really fall in love with that. Like if I'm if I'm starting a football team, if I have the number one pick, omit quarterback because you know that that's a given. I'm picking quarterback. But if I had to pick any other position player to start my team, I'm probably going Christian McCaffrey to start my team. Like I think he's he's one of the if not the most deadly weapon in the NFL right now. I mean he rushed for a thousand and caught for a thousand last year. There's not many people that can do that. So I might have to go stud running back for this one. I might have to go against the grain. All right, next one. Point. Next one. This one's hilarious to me. I I really like to laugh at, mis- at people's misfortune, but but these two players find themselves like in terrible situations. Would you rather be in Deshaun Watson's situation, tied to the Texans, which we can get into a whole other reasons why, like I don't know why he signed that contract with the Texans. Would you rather be in Deshaun Watson's scenario or Julio Jones's scenario? A top three, top four player at their position stuck on terrible teams and terrible organizations. Kyle, D-Watt or Julio? I got to go with Watson, um, especially now that they just got rid of Bill O'Brien. I feel like he was holding that organization down for the past two years now. Um, I don't think they make the playoffs. I I did at the beginning of the year. They're 0-4 now. But, I mean, this is doable. One, he's really young. Two, their defense is good. I mean, the Texans aren't a horrible team. The issue I have with the Falcons is, and especially in Hulu's spot, is you've kind of already hit your cap. You made the Super Bowl. Well, you blew it. I don't think you get back. I mean, I don't want to be in that position. You've had Matt Ryan this whole time. He doesn't throw you touchdowns. Julio Jones just doesn't catch touchdowns. I mean... Which is absurd, you, right? Which is yeah, like it's weird. absolutely absurd, right? Like Julio yeah. Jones would never end the year with like three touchdown catches. That just zero sense. The thing is, Julio's been in this position before and we see how it has worked out. Like the Falcons have been bad for a couple years now since they made the Super Bowl almost. And the Texans are bad once. I mean, I'd still rather be Deshaun Watson in this scenario. I'd rather be Julio just because the Falcons organization as a whole has proven they have the ability to build something. I think they've been in a rut since after 2017. But if you look at Blank, this whole decade, I know it's because they've had a really good quarterback in Matt Ryan, but they've consistently been a good playoff team, been building. Um, they're obviously in a downswing now, but Deshaun Watts, the Texans are just a mess. The, they've never, Deshaun Watts has never had a chance. They don't have, a, they are 0 and 4 and don't have their first or second round picks next year. It, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's rough. I, I agree with the age point. Uh, Deshaun Watson's got more years to, to turn it around than Julio does, but geez, I'd rather be in an organization that's proven it can do the right things than an organization where you're just hoping they might change like their fortunes. Right. That's a good point. I'm torn. Both of you make really good points. I'm torn. I go back and forth. On one hand, like I, I think I'd rather be with the Falcons organization than the Texans organization. And a lot of it is, I mean, we've seen the last four years of the Texans organization run by Bill O'Brien and it's just been a circus, right? Now, Dan Quinn hasn't hasn't really been that much better. But in, at least in the last four years, we've seen the Falcons go to a Super Bowl. You're right, man. Like, we've seen them get to that mountaintop. So, it's real think that they can get there again. Um, but if, if, if I'm in Julio's standpoint, I'm dependent on so much. The wide receiver position is probably the most dependent position in the NFL. And... If I'm Julio, I'm sitting on a top five talent at my position in the league, and I got a quarterback who just can't find the ball, find me the ball. And like, it's not that hard to find Julio. Like we we've seen Julio make catches where like he just shouldn't be there. Like I go back to the catch he made in the Super Bowl. 
which gets overlooked because the Falcons had, you know, blew that lead. But that's that's probably the best catch I've ever seen. Him and Odell catch like that, that is an unbelievable catch. And that and Julio's still that guy. It's not like Julio's gotten tremendously older. He hasn't gotten injured. He damn near doesn't break a sweat because the Falcons barely do anything on offense. So <laughs> Julio is still that Julio is still there. But I'm so torn because you're right, Kyle. Deshaun gets to breathe a little bit. The guy who put us in this rut, Bill O'Brien, is gone. So at least he he has the ability to be optimistic about where the Texans can go. As long as Dan Quinn is there, that dark cloud moves over Atlanta. And I think both of these guys fall under the same syndrome of loyalty to a fault. Like, Julio has been been on record saying, like, Matt Ryan's my guy. I'll never jump ship. I believe in Dan Quinn. He's our coach. We, we got to be better on the field. And I'm like, Julio, stop, dog. Like, you don't have to do this. If you went out and said, I hate Dan Quinn, everyone would be like, yeah, me too, Julio. I hate him too. Like, he, he, I, like they're so loyal to a fault. Like, Julio, I get it. Like, you don't want to say anything bad. It's the kind of guy he is. But at some point, you got to realize, like, I'm better than this. I deserve better yeah. than this. Come to That's 10. a Nick Saban. That's a Nick Saban uh, syndrome. That is the Nick you Saban. Gotta, you respect your coach. You, you don't say a bad thing about your coach. Yeah. And Trent Richardson is probably the only Alabama person we've seen fall off the rails, right? Maybe Amari Cooper when he was going back and forth with, with Jack Del Rio. But, but look at him now. Yeah, look at him right now. had legal issues, but he was still a very good football player. Well, I was about to say, but I mean, the, I, he had no locker room problems with the 49ers. He loved the 49ers. It was just shit he was doing off the field. So yeah. that, is, that may be that, that Bama effect. All right, last one. It's ending on a good one. Two of the premier offenses in the NFL, but they run in different routes, pun intended. Would you rather have the Chiefs passing attack on offense or the Ravens running attack on offense? Matt. The Ravens run offense is something we've never seen before. It's absolutely electric, unbelievable. They have an 1,000-yard quarterback, rushing quarterback. They have Mark Ingram. They have they, – they're just so versatile in the run game. It's unbelievable. I'm not picking any option that does not have Pat Mahomes. It's not simple. I'm not picking – I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, give me Pat Mahomes over – Give, give me Lamar Jackson with Walter Payton, and I still have to think about putting Pat Mahomes. No, seriously. Go ahead, Kyle. Uh, I mean, I think they're the two best offenses in the league, obviously. But I think uh, – give me the Ravens running attack. As Matt said, they're electric. I haven't seen this before. Honestly, in my lifetime, I have not I, – maybe – I mean, there's probably an off case somewhere I'm just forgetting. But I haven't seen a team that can run it 30 times a game with three different guys that uses their fullback once. Ricard is great. Mm-hmm. And you have the best running quarterback, might go down all time ever. I mean, Mike Vick obviously is there now, but all time you might have the best running quarterback ever when it's I all mean, said and done. Seriously, Matt, you could probably. So I mean, I don't know if Mike Vick ever ended the league, ended the year top ten in rushing. Like Lamar was top ten in rushing last year, which is absurd. I know Vick ran for a thousand once. I don't know if he was top ten in rushing though. Yeah, but uh, yeah, give me the Ravens. I mean. I guess Mahomes comes with the Chiefs passing attack, but I think it's not even close without Mahomes there. You got the best tight end in the league. I mean, you got one of the best wide receivers in the league. So I think their offense, at least scheme-wise, is getting a little bailed out, but the Ravens scheme-wise has it. I mean, they're bang, bang, this play works. Let's run the next one. Let's run an option this time. Okay, it's going for 30. I want the Ravens run offense over the pass offense of the Chiefs. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to go with you, Kyle. I'm going to take the Ravens' run offense. They can pass when they want to. I mean, when they go to a passing offense, then you're looking at Hollywood Brown. You're looking at Mark Andrews. You're looking at guys who can, you know, and you're looking at Lamar Jackson throwing the ball. You're looking at a team 
that can really throw it when they want to. But, you know, I, I, I've always been a proponent of, and I'll, I'll probably stick to it as long as I, I watch and cover football, that a good running game and a good defense is what wins you championships. I know last year we saw a team that kind of flipped that on its head with having such a great passing offense and not the best defense. But if you don't have Pat Mahomes, like the Chiefs don't pull themselves out of a 24-point deficit, a 10-point deficit in the Super Bowl. Like it's so much hung on Pat Mahomes. So like uh, I think just a, a, a steady diet of running, like if you can get ahead of the sticks on first down, with like a six-yard run, I think that does so much for your offense. And I, I just think that's more dependable personally than a crazy air raid attack is. Just piggybacking on your point about running games and defense, just look at the 49ers last year. They dominated an NFC title game. The Garoppolo threw the ball like eight times. They almost won the Super Bowl <laughs> with three <laughs> defensive runs. They won the NFC <laughs> Look at how the Titans went on their run. Like, like people are like, oh, Ryan Tannehill – Played very good. Come on, man. Was Ryan Tannehill the reason they were they went on this hot run? It's because they had the Russian king. It's because they had Derrick Henry, and they really, you know, Mike Vrabel's uh, really tended it up on defense. So I think that's that's what does it. Like, I think we're looking at a once-in-a-generation type offense in the Chiefs. They're the exception, not the rule. And I think if teams try to model themselves after what the Chiefs are doing, they're going to fail. But it's much more easy and realistic to model yourself after – what the Ravens do than to try to model yourself after what the Chiefs do. If you don't have Patrick Mahomes, you can't do what the Chiefs do. But there are a lot of teams that can do what the Ravens do. I'd rather take the Ravens offense, probably because I can replicate it. I can't replicate the Chiefs offense. That's what it is. But, um, that's all we got for our talks, but now it's time to figure out what happened this past week in sports. Kyle, that's you, right? I just want yes, to sir. add something quick, some bad news uh, for you and for the league, James. Uh, Vita Vea, the Buccaneers fear, he broke his ankle, season-ending injury. And uh, they're doing an MRI today to confirm. That's that, <laughs> real good, Matt. No, injuries never make me happy. That, if that's Dak Prescott tore his ACL, and I get, I wouldn't be no happy. Would be. Did you see that? You saw that play last night too. Like his ankle was at like a ninety degree angle. Yeah, yeah I didn't like that play. And he was well, I guess, the game too. I guess that's Matt's start to the this past week in sports. Thanks for that. Thanks for starting <laughs> on a great note. But uh, let's get into this. So the Seattle Storm have completed the sweep against the Las Vegas Aces to become the 2020 WNBA champions. This is their second title in the last three years and fourth in team history. Brianna Stewart walked away with the finals MVP, which is her second. So congrats to her and the entire team who went undefeated in this playoffs. I mean, I know they only had to do two rounds. I think they got a, a bye. That's how the WNBA playoffs went this year. Um, but they went undefeated, right? I mean, they went six and zero. Regardless, that that's got to be like a you know a great finals run. I, I don't, I can't, I don't have it memorized, like you know, committed to memory to the WNBA finals runs. But I mean, I, I've rarely seen a, a championship run that dominant. But I mean, it just speaks to why Seattle hoops continue to go overlooked. Like I don't know why it's taking the NBA this long, you know, to really consider bringing a team back to Seattle. But imagine if, if the if the NBA had even just a semi-decent, a, a five-six seed uh, of an NBA team. Seattle would be buzzing with hoops. And I think they deserve it, man. Shout out to Seattle Storm. Shout out Sue Bird. I have a little crush on Sue Bird here. <laughs> All right. So, Damon Snacks Harrison is back in the league. He signed to the Seahawks this past week. And while he didn't have the most productive year and a half with the Lions, it was surprising to see he wasn't on a roster this past offseason. I mean, just four years ago, this guy was a first-team All-Pro. So, I mean, obviously the Seahawks are Super Bowl contenders, 
but there are some issues on defense here. I don't know if this exactly solves it, but we'll have to see where they go with this. If Seahawks' biggest weakness is they have a poor pass rush, and it, I, I don't know how good Snacks Harrison still is, but getting another body in there, you can't hurt, and they're a contender, so if they get better there, then, then they're really scary. Right, and I, and I don't think they need him to be first-team All-Pro to, to do the job that they need. Um, I think they need someone in there who's a seasoned vet. I mean, they're a team of seasoned vets. So a guy I know who knows what he's doing uh, can execute the defensive game plan. And you're right. If they get marginally better on the defensive line, I mean, that that gives them a leg up of what they already have, such a separated gap on most of the teams in the league. But to me, this seemed like a Patriots signing, right? Like, it didn't seem like a Seahawks signing. It seemed like the Patriots, when, when they go out and, and grab someone that you, like, forgot about, but it's still good and, and turn them into, you know, a productive player. So let's see what Seattle can do with Snacks Harrison. Was, in his heyday, was one of my favorite defensive linemen. Yeah. Back to the Patriots thing. I think the trade they made was kind of, like, for Jamal Adams was also kind of like a Patriots type of trade. Move. Go grab him, right? Yeah, like, go grab a best player in the league that may have a locker room problem, but I want him. Well, Earl yeah. Thomas is there now. Earl Thomas is, is out there. We'll see if, if Belichick... And Belichick doesn't have a problem with taking on head cases. Ocho Cinco, Randy Moss, like, he's done it before. As long as they're good, and if they're not, they don't pay now. He has no problem shipping their ass back out in the street. He picked so, up AB, too. Don't forget. AB, Collins, like, he's done it. He's done it many times before, and all every all four of those times, when they became a locker room problem again, he just kicked their ass out. So... Yep. <laughs> All right, I already touched on this a little earlier. It is my last point, but Bill O'Brien is out of the Texans after six years with the team. He left with a 52-48 and 48 regular season record with the team making the postseason four times. But this didn't really seem like a huge football thing. I mean, they are 0-4, but we've heard story after story this past year of off-the-field issues and just teammates not getting along with Bill O'Brien. So uh, Romeo Cornell will become the interim head coach, which, fun fact, makes him the oldest head coach in NFL history. Why did it take wow. this long? Why take this long for Romeo to get a shot like that? It, t- it took. A, a he's historically time. bad as a head coach. I know he's <laughs> had bad teams, but he's historically bad. Yeah, he's been he's been great as a coordinator. Um, but I mean, to me, this was it was easy. One, the writing was on the wall, and I think ownership came to him and was like, "If you make the DeAndre Hopkins trade, you have this much of a leash to prove that it wasn't the worst thing we've ever seen." <sighs> Like, you literally got four games to do it. If you don't go 4-0, and you're fired. Because you can't make a move like that and then tell everyone, no, wait till see how it pans out. You gave away our first and second round pick next year. Like, we don't pick the third round and we're 0-4. Like, that's your fault. You got to get out of here. People not getting along in the locker room. That's your fault. You got to get out of here. But what really surprised me, if you look at his, his win percentage, his win-loss record, and, like, his success, like... It's just the Texans have never been a good organization because he's statistically the most successful coach the Texans have ever had. And I'm like, damn, really? Uh-huh. Like that guy? Well, like, they are a young team. They haven't right, had too many. Yeah, coaches, I, yeah. I think Bill O'Brien is a good coach. I think he's a catastrophic GM. I think it's like, <laughs> he, I think giving him the full control of the roster is one of the dumbest things a team's done in a long time. Especially because he hadn't like he wasn't like a stellar coach, but if you make the playoffs with Brock Osweiler and Brian Hoyer in two separate years, that's something. That's something. I I guess I guess captaining by the defense. I mean, when I say good coach, I mean like six out of ten. Right, Jadavian Clowney, J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless on that defense at the time. So I mean, 
They had a good, they had a good defense. And I watched Bill O'Brien come from Penn State, where again, it was like, you know, he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't like a good coach. And he didn't get people like, I don't think players enjoyed playing for him when he was at Penn State. He's kind of like a, a real arrogant asshole kind of guy. Um, it's incredible. I, He's still probably the most successful Belichick disciple in the NFL. Probably. Probably. I do think it's funny, though, that Eagles fans are laughing at Bill O'Brien like Chip Kelly ain't happened. Like, don't, come on, you ain't. Like, that wasn't six years. On him. You let him be GM, he started to implode the team, and boom, he was gone. Well, right when he cut the Sean Jackson, he was out with me. But, I mean, it still happened. It definitely yeah. happened, Well, that's all we got in this past week in sports, so let's get into the countdown. Number five. The number of touchdowns Tom Brady threw last Sunday, he became the oldest quarterback to ever do so at age 43. I mean, yeah, this, this seems like really, really moot after the game. I fucking watched it. Like, <laughs> I kind of wish we would have changed this. Like, I put this before the Thursday night game, and then I watch him throw well, one. I, I do want to say, like, Brady is, he's not what he used to be, but he's still good. So he'll have really good games showing his old self, and then he'll have mediocre games. He's still probably like a top seven quarterback but yeah, I would still put him top 10 and I don't think it's I, I I don't think we should be surprised that he's getting more and more dependent on his weapons I mean the reason he went to Tampa Bay is because he was working with maybe the best wide receiver in court in the league and he's lost a bunch of them Chris Godwin's out OJ Howard is out Scotty Miller isn't in the offense anymore like we're calling up practice squad players which before the season which I, I didn't even think we we're gonna have a practice squad which with how many players we got on the offense Leonard Fournette is injured now again. Like, so he's he's watching it depleting deplete. And I think Mike I think we're watching Mike Evans play at like 60%. Like he doesn't look completely healthy. So I mean Brady's dependent on his weapons. Take that take that fucking smirk off your face, Kyle. I don't like that that's <laughs> the first, that smirk you got over there. <laughs> I was trying to think of a joke for uh, Brady for getting the down, but I'm just gonna bring oh, it up. That was so dude. hilarious. Oh, well, the game is now over at this point after an incomplete pass, and Brady's holding up the fourth down to his sideline, looking confused because he thought he had another down left. <laughs> Bro, I just can't get over that. I was like on national TV with everybody watching. I didn't. Yeah. Even, I didn't even get a finals game last night to draw half the viewership away. Like every was the only thing on. And it was a good Thursday night game, which we don't get. So like definitely, yeah, people watching. But oh, we can God. move past that, James. We can move past that. Let's go to number four. Uh, number four uh, is for the number of four and O teams in the NFL right now: Chiefs, Bills, Packers, Seahawks. I mean, I guess I don't have to ask which one is the best, but which one is the best. It's the Chiefs defending Super Bowl champs. They beat the Ravens on the road. Uh, second best, I'll go Seahawks. I think I want to go Packers for second. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going Packers. I'm going Chiefs and Packers. Chiefs and Packers. And last year we watched the Packers win 13 games. Everyone was like, "Oh, that was a fluke." We watched them go to the NFC Championship game. Everyone's like, "Oh, they're still not that good." We watched them not draft a receiver, and then we're like, "Oh, dude, they're gonna implode." Look at this team, and they're four and zero. Got the most points in the league. Aaron Rodgers hasn't thrown an interception yet. They're putting up 30-plus points a game. Aaron Jones is among the league leaders in rushing. Like, this team is hitting on all cylinders. So and I'm- Devontae Adams hasn't played in, like, three games. The big thing the big thing for me is uh, the way they use Aaron Jones. Mm-hmm. They don't use him until, like, the second half. And then you have a fresh back who is really fast and runs like he's 6'3", who's fresh in the second half, and, like, he explodes. Like, I think he had, like including receiving. I know he had that one receiving touchdown, but he was over like 150, 160 total for the game, and he's liable to do that every game. I mean, hey, something the Packers did definitely unintentionally is 
their organization gave Aaron Rodgers like something to prove when he when there wasn't yeah. much left to prove. They definitely did it on accident. That's not what they were trying to do, but that's what they did. They woke like a sleeping giant, and now the rest of the league has to pay for it. Yeah. All right, let's go to the number three. The number of players in NBA or WNBA history to win a title in three different decades, Tim Duncan, John Sally, and now Sue Bird, who won, uh, who's won titles with the Seattle Storm in 04, 2010, 2018 and now 2020. John Sally is obviously the odd man out in this. But Tim Duncan and Super <laughs> are absolute legends of the game. One, look at those years on John Sally. I know Matt, you can name them. But two, it was like '89, then in the '90s, and then like 2001. Yeah, like, it wasn't three decades. It was like 12 years. It counts. Like I mean, yeah. Yeah, the Pistons won '89 and '90. That's that's two different yeah. decades, man. He averaged like one points per game on like the 2000 Lakers. Okay, we're bringing out technicalities here. Does he have rings for them? He He's got rings. rings He's got rings. Well, again, my baby boo, Sue Bird. Mwah, chef's kiss well, that, right there. Might have, low-key, might have the best shoe game in the WNBA or NBA. Like, I'm, I'm putting her up against P.J. Tucker for the shoe game, dog. Sue Bird's shoe game, I'm correct. I love her. Top tier of athletically talented couples, her and Megan Rapino versus Zach Ertz and Julia. Yeah. If we're talking about rings counting, James, I'm calling you out for a recent tweet. Then KD's ring counts. Because I know you didn't. You said KD's ring didn't count. Yep. Apples to oranges. We, okay. Apples to oranges. We don't have time for that. Okay. KD's we don't have time for that. Now, KD's rings count. But there's asterisks by them. And I, I, you'll ne- I will die on that hill. I will rock okay. on that hill. That's all it is. We can argue that at a later point. But let's move yeah. on to number two. The number of times... Yo, who did this? <laughs> <laughs> the number of times Nick Foles had a fourth quarter comeback against Tom Brady, one obviously being in the 2017 Super Bowl, and then this one um, comes last night on Thursday night. Let me just say that we are really blowing a, a week five Thursday night game. Like, we're really we're really making a mountain out of a molehill right now. Like, I understand this is, like, really satisfying to see you guys or for you guys to see Nick Foles come back on Tom Brady again. But, like... He's got his number. Nick Foles has Brady's number. And, like, and, I'm, and I'm not talking about cellular phones. <laughs> He's got him on the football field. Last night, like, Nick, Nick Foles didn't even really do anything. that He caught fire in, like, two drives. Yeah. I, I, that was impressive about that back shoulder pass to Jimmy Graham, but Graham made an amazing catch yeah, on amazing well. to throw. But yeah, the Mel Dean they, can play that ball any better. Like I can't ask him to play that ball. Any yeah, better. like that's just whether Jimmy Graham makes the play of the game was that. Was uh, the best play. Yeah, that was gonna say that that dump pass on third down to Montgomery. I don't know how it was perfect. It was that perfect. Um, that was the best play. I mean, that might have been the best play, but low key where the Bears won the game was that third and seven. With under two minutes to go, we have a chance to get the ball back. And Anthony Miller runs this, like, shallow three-yard crossing route. And there's just nobody there. Sean Murphy bunting's, like, playing 10 yards off of him. And then he runs and gets the first down. And then the Bears run out the clock. I'm like, what? Like, what, what are we doing here? Like, that, I don't know. That was a really frustrating game for me to watch. And thank you for, like, you know, really making it hurt the next day. I was trying to forget about it. You did that to Wentz earlier. So, we're back. <laughs> All right, let's go to number one. The number of games the division-leading Philadelphia Eagles have won this season, one, two, and one, equals to the number of ties. Fly, Eagles, fly. Let's go NFC Least. Love being in this division. You got that right. I'm going to call it the NFC Beast. 
because you got to fight for these wins, it seems like. And <laughs> I hate both. Division leading. That's all you got to say. Division leading. Like, you shouldn't feel right hosting a playoff game. Unless unless you guys magically turn it around and win, like, nine games, you shouldn't feel like right. I, I, I agree with that. If you, I think you should be guaranteed a spot in the playoffs you win the division, but you shouldn't be guaranteed a who, like, who wants that? Shouldn't happen. I'm mad about it. I'm not mad about it. But <laughs> let's go to number zero. Uh, the number of turnovers the Green Bay Packers have committed this season, making them the only team in NFL history to score 150-plus points with no turnovers through four games. And Kyle, me and you were talking about it. Like, it's – I'm tired of, of underestimating the Packers. Like, I'm tired of not giving them their just due. I did it last year. Um, but, I mean, we're, we're watching – one of the best offenses, maybe like a top two or top three offense in the league right now, operate without their second best player. Like, I think it's super impressive. Magical. Um, Where does Aaron Rodgers go in an MVP talk? Is he in it? Like, are we, do we put him above like a Josh Allen? He's in it. He's He's having a phenomenal season. Possibly. I mean, outside Russell Wilson, I think they're having the best two quarterback seasons right now. Right. Oh, over Pat and Lamar? I guess over, I guess they haven't had, a, Pat and Lamar have had down weeks. They haven't had a down, neither of them have had a They've down week. doing it every week, yeah. All right, that's it for the countdown. We're almost out of time, but we can get some shots about the buzzer. Kyle, got anything to say at the buzzer? Yeah, I just want to shed a light on, I know I've been talking about Pitt Athletics, but this one's not even like me being a fan. This is something that's happening in Pitt basketball right now. So Nike Sabandi is a recent um, transfer from Miami of Ohio. Out of over 100 players who uh, looked for immediate eligibility, especially during COVID, most of them got granted. He was one of seven that didn't. But the interesting here is that, so in his waiver request, Miami of Ohio said that Sabandi told them he was run off by the coaching staff, and they didn't think that was true, so that's why they denied the waiver request. Well, you actually look at the waiver request, and it says that he went to Pittsburgh over COVID concerns and because his one-year-old daughter just moved to Pittsburgh. So while Miami is wrong here, the bigger issue is this NCAA transfer portal where there's little incentive to actually accommodate the players. So how can the program get away with lying and the player doesn't get to play? I think this is bad. Um, If you want to follow up on this, Jay Billis wrote an article that was great. It's like a 10 minute read. But I I just want to shine some light on that because I don't understand how this is happening and how Miami's not getting in trouble for it. I mean, I I don't understand 90% of what the NCAA does and even more how they get away with it. Like they kind of just skate by with doing whatever and the biggest issue i have with the ncaa um over other leagues is at least the other leagues have like a face to them like like someone has to answer to it adam silver has to answer goodell manfred have to answer to things i don't know who the hell runs the ncaa like they, just, point. they, they just put things out there and there's no one to actually place blame to none 99% of the time you're not even hearing the rules from them you're hearing it from espn like they might just like send a fax into sports center and that's how all the news gets out so i think they really like hide behind a shield or hide behind whatever because they just get to make rules kind of up on the fly and everyone has to abide by them and so i just think you're right kyle it's, it's awful if the ncaa kind of gets away with stuff like this matt got something to say at the buzzer i got a rant about the houston astros yeah do it, it, it is it, it's so absurd like they're they're the worst cheaters in American sports in a hundred years. They stole World Series, they stole opportunities, they ruined great baseball moments. None of the players get in trouble. They go 29 and 31, get lucky that this bullshit ass season and that division that they play in, they make the playoffs out of it. 
and then you win two games in a row. It's just, you can't go 29-31 and be in the ALCS. That shouldn't happen. That, that should not be happening. If they win the World Series, it, no one wins the World Series this year. It doesn't count. Because no. it's, it's a, it's a shame that they're cheaters and they weren't punished. And it's a shame that you can have a losing record and win the World Series. Kyle, that ring doesn't count. I think we both be on the same page that that ring doesn't count. But I'm also kind of upset at the A's. Like, you you have the ability, if the A's beat the Astros, 60% of America is rooting for the, for the A's to win the World Series. Like, thank you for taking out the Astros. But you can't let a team that limped into the playoffs and is on the back of, of trying to get themselves out of a scandal shadow and beat you. And the A's were one of the hottest teams going into the playoffs. Like, you can't let that happen. Like, yeah, what did Altuve end hitting? Like, right? Sub 230, something like that? Yeah, he hit 219. And and Altuve had some of the biggest hits in that series. Like, you can't you can't allow that to happen. Like, um, I'm upset that, that the A's allowed allowed the Astros to kind of climb out of that shadow. And like as a as a Philadelphia Phillies fan and a, a, a fan of the integrity of baseball, we're watching a crash course happen with the Yankees and the Astros for the ALCS. Which means one of them goes to the World Series, with you know, which and, and if the Braves make the World Series and when one of two make it, like I just don't want to watch the World Series. I don't want to win it. I'm, so I'm we're rooting for the Rays. We're yeah. rooting for the Dodgers. So yeah, yeah. Don't count out the Rays yet. There's one game left, right? I think I think I'm all in on the Rays. The Rays, the Rays just forced Game Five, so I think I'm all in. I'm all in on the Rays. Um, all I have to say at the buzzer is I know we talked about the the Seattle Storm and Stu Bird winning a championship. I want to shout out Brianna Stewart. You talked about how she got this finals MVP. You got to remember, last year she tore his Achilles, or 2018, she tore her Achilles and was out for an entire season and has only come back stronger. She is only 26 years old and listen to what she's done. WNBA champion, 2020, 2020 finals MVP, 2020 WNBA all first team, 2020 WNBA all defensive second team, 2019 EuroLeague regular season MVP, 2018 champion and a 28 finals MVP. She's 26. Like she, like she has all of this on her resume, and she might not have even hit her prime yet. And I think it's, I think it's crazy how in the WNBA you ascend so fast. I mean, it's a much longer, younger league than the NBA. Not a lot, not as much hurdles to go over. But at 26 years old, to have two finals, two championships, two finals MVPs, uh, and all, all WNBA first team and all defensive second team under your belt, and like to maybe not even hit the pinnacle of your career yet. It's crazy. Like she was on, and she's just used to winning, right? She has four NBA national championships. She's got four high school national championships. Like Brianna Stewart just doesn't know how to lose. She was on that UConn team that won 111 straight games too. Like I I just don't think she knows how to lose. Like I I think she might take a loss. Like I I would be afraid if Brianna Stewart actually lost. She hasn't been through that yet. It's it's like Joe Burrow's recent quote. I don't think I've ever lost two games in a row. (laughs) <laughs> she, I literally don't think Brown Seward has ever lost two games in a row. Like I, I crazy. I, I, I'm really sure of that. But that's all the time we have for this episode. Big ups to my guys, Kyle Sherrick over there, clean that room, and our residential statistician, Stat Matt Robinson. But for my guys, I am James Jackson. Thanks for being with us today. These have been the facts. Straight up. <laughs>